ever had the feeling you're destined to do something big, but you weren't sure what, because maybe it has never existed yet? You are in the right place. This is the Pagan Monastery Podcast, and I'm your host, Danica Boyce. We know by now what we don't want, so let's start building the traditions, the rituals, and the sacred places that we do want. I believe that with clarity of purpose and love, we can do absolutely anything together. On this podcast, you'll find heaps of inspiration for touching into your innately abundant nature while you follow and help create the unfolding story of how, together, we established the first pagan monastery in Europe. It's coming. We deserve it. So let's get building. Before I begin, I'd love to let you know that, aside from podcasting, I also offer business coaching. I've been teaching courses and mentoring on spiritually oriented business and creativity and paganism since 2020, with wonderful results. I guide folks to release the internal blockages to receiving abundance of all kinds, and I give practical advice about how to be a person on the internet so you can expand your capacity to invite more freedom, more joy, and more money into your life. Specifically, I help business owners and artists streamline their work and grow their connection with large audiences so you can take big, brave strides towards your personal vision of success. At the moment, I have openings for two one-on-one coaching clients. I offer a four-week intensive container, which starts with an hour-long coaching call at the beginning of the month and then follows up with weekday access to my support through voice messaging for the rest of the month. This is a really flexible container, so folks who have children or otherwise busy schedules can fit in time to work with me throughout the day. This is a serious investment, so it's for those who are serious about making big shifts and changes in your work. When you work with me one-on-one, you get access to all of the publicly offered courses and masterclasses I've hosted in the past as well, including my signature course, Abundance Paganism. If you want to know more about working with me, you can message me on Instagram at danica.boyce or email me at paganmonastery at gmail.com and I'll let you know more of the details and you can ask me any questions you might have. Please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Pagan Monastery Podcast. I'm Danica Boyce. Today I'm going to speak with you a little bit about the philosophy, you could say, but maybe more properly orientation that informs a lot of the work that I do and I want to bring forward into the intentions that I'm sharing about pagan monasticism itself. And that orientation is abundance mindset, and you could say abundance heart set as well, because I acknowledge, and many of us in my community acknowledge as well, that the mind is not the master of the body and that the body is a really enormous actor in how we view and construct our world together. So I actually also want to begin by giving a little update about planning for the Pagan Monastery project that I'm initiating, for which this podcast is one of the platforms to discuss it. So far, my concept for how this project is going to begin in terms of its physical manifestation in the world is I am currently attending a program run for women entrepreneurs who are beginning a new business here in Iceland, and I'm developing a plan 
for a retreat business. So it can begin as a business before there is a physical location that the business owns outright or is leasing for a period of time. That way we can begin generating income and we can begin developing the experiences that we can offer and the community around how this pagan monastery business will look. So I'm attending workshops weekly and learning all about funding structures and opportunities for new businesses and how to make a business plan, etc. As I have done business more informally in the past, though successfully, I haven't made an official business plan because I've never had to submit my planning to any external body, but I don't want to rule that out. And I'm really excited to learn about how businesses can be funded and how they have been in the past. So at the moment, I do imagine the monastery as a business, and this is not unusual because monasteries and religious institutions generally are businesses and are profitable in both physical and in spiritual senses at the same time. My understanding of this project is that it will be pro-money, pro-abundance on all levels, and that it ought to be profitable to everyone who works at the monastery, who lives in the region, and who is involved in any way. I'll keep you updated as things develop. I'm going to start my discussion of abundance mindset with a little anecdote, a little side note about Christianity, because I want to make sure that I'm very clear about something when I speak about paganism and when I speak about the history of Christianity and how those two forms of being, those two worldviews are connected and sometimes disconnected. I love Christians. I have no beef whatsoever with Christians and 99.9% of ordinary people who identify with Christianity, who practice it, are genuine sweethearts. They are my friends and they're my family. I'm personally a godmother to an Anglican child and family. I think that religious practice and belief in general is absolutely beautiful and life-giving, and I wouldn't ask anyone to be without it. So when I critique certain aspects of Christian doctrine or the ways that Christianity has influenced politics or our view of nature and one another, I just want to be super crystal clear that I think Christians are absolutely wonderful and that I myself occasionally practice Christianity and for long periods of time in my life I have as well. My parents are both Christians, they're Catholic, and that religious context has provided them with a great deal of strength and inspiration and community. It gives them a space to pray and to sing and to celebrate the divine. Christianity is what a lot of people need, and it is enough for them, and I don't begrudge anyone their religious choices. And personally, I spoke to my mom recently about this pagan monastery concept, and she has always really inspired me with the way that she speaks about the Holy Spirit, which often strikes me as mystical or even pagan. She sees the Holy Spirit as love, and she sees it infusing every aspect of beingness, every aspect of the physical world. She sees it glimmering at the corners of her vision everywhere she goes, and she feels very held by that. And for her, that's a central aspect of her Christian belief and practice is 
whose love and reverence and recognition of this Holy Spirit. And when she, when I told her about the pagan monastery, she she was so passionate in response to this idea. She was preaching, basically, about the need for community and how this is the healing that our culture is so desperately desiring that has made such a big difference in her life. She lives in an intentional community now, and I think she's happier than she's ever been. Part of what I mean to say, if it isn't always clear, is that I actually think the line between paganism and Christianity is not particularly firm, if it exists at all. I just sometimes find it useful because I'm a medievalist and I like to dig into the history of things to find the roots of where an idea came from. So I often refer to medieval Christianity as the origin for particular aspects of our worldview that over the long term have shown themselves to be harmful when they've been used in a fear-based manner to control populations of people or the land. I find it really helpful to trace the origins of an idea back, almost like if you're looking at your garden full of invasive weeds, you might find the root of those weeds so that you can pull them up and then compost them and use them to fertilize another plant that maybe plays more fairly with its neighbors. I find that when we get to the root of cultural ideas, this really helps illuminate the fact that those ideas are not necessarily a given, that they entered the culture at one moment, and that we can change the way that they affect it in the future. That we don't have to believe those ideas just because we inherited them culturally. They don't have to shape our reality anymore. We get to choose what we believe, and what we believe shapes everything that we see from there on in. I want to tell a fun little story I was thinking about this morning when I, for a period of time in my mid-twenties, 
I was living in Toronto, Ontario, and I made friends with a number of Anglicans because I was practicing Anglicanism at the time who were training to become priests. They were doing their masters of divinity. And at that time I met several women priests, which I had never done before. I was raised Catholic. And so women priests did not exist in the world that I was introduced to Christianity in. So I was very inspired to meet these women who were leading rituals. And I could see myself doing the same thing. And I was considering very strongly, and I was speaking to different advisors at the university there, whether I ought to do a master's of divinity as well. I already had a master's of medieval studies, but to become an Anglican priest, that's what you need to do. And so as I was turning this idea over in my mind one day, I was walking down the street towards my favorite coffee shop. I entered the street in a crosswalk, and suddenly I saw a rush of whiteness. My, my view was, was filled with white, and I was struck by something gently. And I looked down at my feet, and I saw that a dove had been attacked in the sky, presumably by a hawk, and it was bleeding from the chest. It had had its heart plucked out, and this dove was flailing at my feet and slowly dying. And a man came from the other side of the street, this gentle older man with a, with a white beard, and he said, maybe we should maybe we should move this bird out of the road. He was the only other person who seemed to notice that any of this had happened, that I'd been struck by a falling dove from the sky. And he and I moved the bird to the side of the road, and we stood there together, and we watched it die. And it didn't occur to me at the time <laughs> until about a year and a half later that the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in Christianity. A dove appeared to St. John when he was baptizing Jesus, I think it was, and since then has been a common symbol of the Holy Spirit. And of course, an injured dying dove is not a particularly positive indicator of one's relationship with the Holy Spirit or with Christianity. But I choose not to overly allegorize the story, but I come back to it regularly to think about how when I was walking down the street, considering becoming a Christian priest, a sign of Christianity fell from the sky and did something very unexpected. And I felt, looking back, that it's so interesting that this symbol, in the form that I would have recognized at the time, because I was thinking in Christian terms, appeared to me, but it also appeared to me to show me something different, to disrupt perhaps the literal path that I was walking to obstruct it, to to differentiate somehow from the way that I was headed. And I ultimately chose not to pursue becoming a Christian priest, but that image has stuck with me since. There's something really resonant about, for me particularly, also birds. I've connected with birds since I was younger, but also just showing how symbols are available to us to interpret in whatever way that we wish. And I like to interpret that symbol saying, yes, your path is spiritual. Yes, you know, we hear you, <laughs> we the gods, we the spirits. And 
there's something about healing. There's something about injury that you're also called to address here. It's not just a straight path. It's not just to go to Christianity and everything will be fine. There's an, there's an injured bird in your perception. And if you can tend to it, you know, perhaps with others, as this, this man who was there witnessing with me, witnessing the pain, making a small ritual of this experience together in the midst of this busy city, to do this healing with others is where my, my true gift lies. And to do it in a way that is perhaps not so much just Christian. <laughs> and I was thinking about it again this morning, and I realized that there's, there's this, as I said earlier, this resonance about birds that I've always had um, since childhood. Somehow, when I was younger, I became associated with rescuing injured baby birds. My brother one day brought me a baby finch that had had its tail feathers pulled out. And I nurtured this baby finch back to health. And I kept it with me for a couple of months, actually. It came to school with me a couple of times. And then later, once I was known for having this baby bird capacity or interest, whenever someone found an injured bird, they would bring it to me and I would do my best to keep it alive. Not always with success, but always with sincere, earnest intention. I also discovered this morning as I was looking into it that the Roman goddess Venus, who is also the name of the star that my name comes from, is connected with doves. And even in some depictions, she's riding a dove-drawn chariot, which is just the cutest picture. If you can find it online, maybe I'll, I'll share it in the show notes. And we think about doves as these sacred birds. But if you think about also how we imagine pigeons, which are the same kind of bird, in the city as a nuisance or as an ugly, dirty bird, it's an amazing example of how it's just the way that we're looking at things that allows us to consider them holy and sacred and a symbol of everything beautiful and deeply meaningful and a connection through time and history and into the future. Or we can look at them as a problem. We can look at them as a disease. We can not look at them at all. We cannot see them. We can look right through them. I really personally resonate with the city birds in Reykjavik here as well. It's one of my favorite things to do to go to the pond at the center of the city and feed the swans and the geese and the ducks and the seagulls. This is just one example of one of the ways that you can practice paganism in a modern context, how you can practice animism in a modern context. The gods, the spirits, the divine is everywhere around you. Are you showing up for it? I mentioned the birds in the city because I think when we think about paganism, when we think about traditions of the deep past, when we think about connection with what's available to us with the spirit world, we tend to think of it as far away. <laughs> we tend to think it's hard to access. We tend to think that we have to be told we're a wizard and taken off to a castle in Scotland that's not Scotland in order to access it, when really what paganism is, to me mostly, is often an unlearning of what we've been taught about who we are in the world. It's really a, a reconnection with what our innate instincts already tell us and have been telling us since the day we were born. It's the things that we loved when we were little children and we revered and we saw as sacred and we were fascinated by. That's our natural reverence. That's our devotion. That's 
our religious expression. It's, it's born in us, and we don't even need to cultivate it. What we need to cultivate is a community, is a way to remember that and to, and to forget whatever might be in the way. And we can access that so easily just by dipping in to the reality of our bodies on the earth and our feelings in our gut. Because paganism, again, wasn't an organized religion. Paganism is just what everyone was doing of their own accord. And when they came across a better idea that worked better for them, that felt better, that's what they took on as well. And that's why Christianity isn't necessarily opposed to paganism in its essence, Many pagans were some of the most enthusiastic adopters of Christianity. It wasn't always pushed on people by force, though at times it was as well. And so many of the early versions of Christianity, and often later versions too, for example in Catholicism, were very much synthesized, combined with earlier pagan beliefs. In fact, most of the holidays around the calendar, if you're familiar with paganism, you probably know, Many of them were borrowed from paganism and were just given new names and new meaning by Christianity. And so they're always accessible for us to, to give them a new shine and to consider them in ways that are expedient and useful for us now. Every moment we have a choice about how we wish to see the world, and we can choose to use the filter of richness, of abundance, of presence, of there is enough to go around. And it really quickly changes how you experience the world when you walk around with that lens. Each person is like a small ecosystem, and the weather that you cultivate in your mind and in your being is what affects and, you know, rains on or shines on everything around you, especially when you're somebody who has access to, say, the internet, and you can share how you're feeling and what is inspiring you with everyone else around you. I find the internet one of the most incredible pieces of technology, and the tiny bird in me really loves to see how easily I can speak out and have access to these vast landscapes of being and of awareness that is the network of humankind communicating. There's something absolutely futuristic and divine about that ability to fly above and to speak so clearly to other people. And I encourage you to do the same with your inspirations and your joy when you think of it. And when you have that clarity of, of mind and heart, just to speak what's truest to you as soon as the impulse takes you. And on that matter, please also share this podcast if it's inspiring you. This is how these ideas will spread, and this is the best gift that you can give to me and to this movement of pagan monasticism, is to just share the idea and speak positively of it, and to explain how it makes you feel, and how much delight it brings into your being. Eat it.
So I've been speaking through and a little bit about abundance mindset. Now I'm going to get a little more explicit about that. So I would say abundance mindset is just a convenient moniker for something that is an innate ability in humankind, and that's the ability to see through a lens of love, of enoughness, of a sense of confidence in the self and one's abilities a sense of confidence in the goodness and the completeness of the world itself and the earth as one of its expressions. I use this term, abundance mindset and heart set, to frame how I see the world at this moment in time. But as time marches on, I'm also happy to adopt any other more expansive term if it presents itself to me. How I'm using abundance mindset in the practice of paganism is a way to step outside of what's taken for granted, the less nourishing aspects of modern capitalist Christian and secular Western culture, to see how healing can occur when we listen back into our intuitive selves and into the natural expressions that lie in our bodies and in the earth. So I've observed in my life through both the, the pains that I've experienced and also the love and connection and experiences of passion and inspiration being filled with spirit, I've noticed that there is an overemphasis in Western culture on oppositionality, for one. So that's the belief that things are binary opposites. Man, woman, light, dark, white, black, past, present, nature, culture, you name it. The belief that things are in opposition. And as a subset of that oppositionality, there's also the belief that various elements of the world are competing for limited resources. So there's a sense that on all levels of reality, you can notice this if you start looking through this lens. There's a sense that things are in competition, that they're fighting for dominance, that they're fighting for survival, and that there is not enough to go around on the whole. And in response to this sense of competition and not enough, arises the desire to control, to control the earth, to control one another, to control any aspect of reality, to control one's body, to control one's mind, as a means of dealing with this stress that comes from feeling that you are not going to be okay unless you are grasping and dominating. When you can deal with the natural aspects of discord or difficulty that occur in life by really listening in and actually releasing control to a degree in your safe inner being to process through senses of trauma. Because we've learned that when people have experienced adversity in their lives, it isn't actually a greater grip on control that allows us to heal. 
It's actually finding safety and providing safety for oneself in order to to release the stored pain and suffering that's in one's being that results from hardship, which is a part of life. In this Western culture and its scarcity mindset, which is what I'm describing right now, there's also a focus on ascension, which is also one of the primary aspects of Christianity that has caused us some trouble in recent years. The sense that there is like an up and down metric of value, that things that are higher and less earthly are better, and things that are lower and more earthly are less good. And along with that, there's this desire to ascend out of the body, to ascend out of the earth and into this idealized, perfect place that is away from the real self and away from difficulty and away from contrasts and away from the richness of experience. There is also a tendency in this sort of scarcity-based aspect of Western culture there's a desire to find one system. So this is an expression of the desire to control. The need to find one system to explain everything, whether that's a major religious dogma, or whether that's science, or whether that's race. It's a desire to simplify everything into a format that makes it easy to control, to dispel the fear that is out of control in a worldview that says you need to be controlling things at all. And something I've really personally noticed that I find very difficult and has offended me from a young age, but I haven't always known how to articulate, is a tendency towards cynicism, which in my experience is a form of disempowerment. It's a way of saying, this is too hard, this belief in possibility, and therefore it's not worth my effort. It's a kind of disdain for life that comes out of despair, that comes out of the belief that we're not strong enough, or that other people won't help me, or that, you know, maybe the world isn't worth saving, etc. And this is also a form of perfectionism, which as Brene Brown has argued, if you haven't heard of her, definitely check her out. That's a form of, of cowardice, which maybe isn't the best word to choose, because I know that the reason people tend to be cynical is because they want to protect themselves. They are feeling vulnerable. And so instead of investing in something that might disappoint, they are going for the safer route of being right rather than possibly happy. So these are the aspects of Western culture that I feel most prominently express a sense of scarcity, of I am not enough, the world is not enough, things are not going to be okay, therefore I have to control, I have to dominate, I have to clutch at straws, I have to fight to survive or to save what I love. And I don't believe that that is necessarily a truth in reality. It's an expression of the brain in fear. It's a natural survival mechanism that some people call the ego. And it's it's good for us in crisis situations at times, but it's not a way to build a sustainable, lasting, love-based society. And that's a lot of complexity, but I would really just boil it down when you're working with abundance mindset to something that makes more sense maybe if you call it abundance heart set. And that is just thinking to yourself when you are in difficulty, when you are any day in the world, how do I want to feel? Because we may not always know what language or what system to use to explain how we're feeling, 
but we have a lot more tools to identify when we feel out of alignment with ourselves in our bodies. Our bodies are always giving us clues about what we want, what we don't want, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, and sometimes just what we're curious about or what we're a little bit wary of. The more that we get in tune with what our body is saying, the more we get really good at doing abundance mindset without having to think too hard about it. Because overemphasis on the brain and the mind as a site of power exclusively, the mind over the body as opposed to the mind as a part of and a natural expression of the body, that's when we get into disconnection and that's where it's very easy to spin off into fear and control again. So instead of distrust and opposition, which is one of the main sort of flagships of our culture at the moment, I'm curious to see what happens when we experiment with trust of the self and the world. When we operate from a sense of gentle curiosity and also empathy for others. What if we follow the invitations that our beings naturally offer us to communicate and to collaborate across perceived difference? Where can we look for more subtlety in the spaces between the lines that have been drawn for us? Where in general might we expand our sense of what can be achieved at all? We can root into our feelings and trust in their reality. We can trust in our instincts. I know that sounds like radical and strange, but we really can. What if we did? You know, what if for one week you just trusted your instincts and followed them in every moment? How might your life change? How might you set an example for the people around you of how things can be done, how free you can be? One beautiful practice of abundance mindset, just a wise practice in general, that informs all the work that I've been doing for the last five years or more, is the practice that I learned in an improv acting class. I'm not a talented actor, nor am I very talented at improvisation on a stage. But I learned in this improv class that the best thing you can do when you're on a stage and improvising, or when you're just in life, the most graceful, effective, generous, and enjoyable practice you can undertake is to have an attitude of yes and. To see the situation that you're presented with, the gesture that someone else makes maybe on the stage, or the minor fender bender that you got into this morning, you know, because of the snow on the road perhaps, to take that situation, to affirm it, to say, yes, this is what is. I accept the situation as it stands. I can see it. I can at least try to see it from a neutral place. And I'm going to add to it. So there's no need to, to hate on what is, to resent or to overly dive into criticism, which is sort of state of affairs right now or has been in academia, and it's how I was trained to be an academic, is to analyze and to find out what's wrong, to criticize, to critique, and to share your critique. But there's often a sort of pause there, or there has been in recent academic world, and also in, you could say, journalism and in public culture. There is a real strong skill right now <laughs> in pointing out what's wrong, but there is not 
I'm always seeing as much bravery to say, okay, this is what is, and here's what I'm going to add to it. I think we're in a big moment of noticing culturally that we have a rather pessimistic view. There are a lot of people, you know, on the internet, anywhere else saying right now that the world is ending. And just when you hear that, how does it feel in your body? Does it make you feel empowered? Does it make you feel like, yes, and I'm going to build something new? (laughs) Not usually, right? So what if we say the world is hurting and here's what I'm building to address that? In a sense, this podcast and this project itself is an exercise in yes and thinking. It's not just saying, here are all the things about the world that suck right now. Let's list them and demand that people fix them. It's more like, here's a beautiful vision that myself and my community share. Let's start from that place, you know, that place that we know that we are hurting. We know that we're missing something and we're standing up and we're ready to start making that thing happen, you know, boldly and awkwardly sometimes. And we're going to see how much further we can get with that frame for the story. What if the world isn't ending? What if the world cannot end? What if you are just being born into the next beautiful thing that you're going to build? You're not powerless. You are extremely powerful. You are the essence of power. You are the one. We are the ones who make everything happen. And if we want to be really effective in making that happen, we need to care for ourselves. We need to tell ourselves stories about how things are okay and how things can grow and how life in its essence is generative. It is always growing and regrowing, and we can always draw on the tools that we need to build the world that we want to live in for eternity in this place right now with these tools, not beyond, not above, not later, not in the long lost golden age of the past, right now and right here with you and me and our hands and our singing and our dancing and our love of little leaves and of little birds and of each other. That's, that's everything. Everything is here for us to use for that purpose if we're using it with that respectful yes energy. Yes and. I see you, world. I respect you and I want to work with you. And imagine if you approached your fender bender you know, hopefully you don't have one. But imagine you did, because these things do happen. (laughs) And you came out with that energy to speak to the person who you collided with, the person who you've been given the opportunity to connect with, the gift of a collision of of cells, of, of beings, of worlds. What ecosystem are you going to approach each interaction in your life with? Are you gonna, actually it reminds me of that, there's a new Disney movie, I actually can't remember what it's called, which is kind of great (laughs) in a way where there's a character who walks around and everything that she feels becomes weather around her. And so if she's unhappy, she rains on everyone, right? And that is exactly how our feelings are in a more invisible way, but also visible. I mean, we know through gestures that people make, through body language, through hugs, or possibly through violence, exactly what's happening inside their body, whether we have words for it or not. So what is the ecosystem that you're carrying around? I hope that it's a yes and ecosystem. Thank you so much for listening today. 
If this episode touched or inspired you, it would mean a great deal to me if you rated and positively reviewed it, and you shared it on social media, email, or regular old snail mail. Your support is invaluable to this project. If you want to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at danica.voice, or you can email the podcast and the Pagan Monastery project directly at paganmonastery at gmail.com. Thank you to Gadus Morqua Ensemble for the opening theme music to the Pagan Monastery podcast. Many thanks to Anna Felt, the musician who sponsored this episode. You heard her tracks Vainamanta and Poon Loitsu. I've included a link in the show notes where you can find more of her music. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.